I'm Jarrett Murphy from CityLimits.org. And this is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. So uh, we're joined now on the line by City Council Member Carlina Rivera, who's going to give us some more perspective on um, what you just mentioned, Jared, and, and what the city's hospitals are going through. Uh, Council Member Rivera, uh, it's Ben Max from Gotham Gazette and Jared Murphy from City Limits. Uh, thanks for joining us again. Hi there. Uh, thanks so much for having me. How are you holding up? I'm I'm good. I'm I'm okay. You know, it's it's been difficult and it's been stressful and there's just so much news out there on on what is going on that we're trying to also make sure that we're looking at so many of the the other challenges that we're facing in terms of Rikers what's happening on Rikers Island um, our open streets and social distancing supplies finally moving from upstate to downstate and of course some of the the challenges that we're seeing in labor and delivery rooms. So, you know, trying to make sure that we're serving every New Yorker while, of course, focusing on what's happening in our hospital systems, which is pretty dire. So the sense that the governor and mayor are giving, uh, just a paraphrase of what's happening in hospitals, is that the feeling a few days ago that they were going to be overwhelmed has abated somewhat. There's a sense of them obviously still dealing with a very serious health emergency, but but being on top of it maybe maybe kind of catching up to the pace of new cases and, and new ICU admissions. Is that what you are see, sensing and hearing as well, that, that hospitals are, are kind of getting a handle on this? This is the, the greatest disaster our city has ever seen, and our safety net hospitals are on the front lines of this pandemic. And I certainly think that they're doing better than they were a few weeks ago but the, the one system that we're continuing to hear of in some of these press conferences is really more of a theory than practice right now. Our health and hospital system is the one that is under incredible burden, incredible strain. And now that you see some of these statistics on deaths, I think it's very, very clear um, what is happening in our immigrant communities, in our communities of color. We have what 3.1 million immigrants, 150 languages spoken in New York City over 2 million immigrants in Brooklyn and Queens. This is where we're seeing some of the highest cases. And with those statistics that exist around who is diabetes and hypertension and asthma and obesity, we know where those underlying conditions are. We know where comorbidity is most prevalent and they're really around our public systems. So I, I really hope that we'll see more of a collaboration amongst the systems but right now, I would say that it is our public hospitals that are under the most strain. And I'll give you just one small example. There is a hotline that when you call 311 to ask health questions, you're routed directly to health and hospitals. Last week, hundreds of H&H, which is the health and hospitals public system, took 51,000 calls. They're doing this by themselves. This is the one example of where I, I'm not understanding why some of our private hospitals can't come in to alleviate that burden. So that's just one example I think of many where there has to be better logistics in terms of supply sharing, patient transfers, and how we can really, really work as one system. You, um, uh, to, to go a little further on that, you, you tweeted earlier today about uh, some of your you know, info from your, some of your latest conversations and about how three, um, three of the public hospitals, especially one in Queens, um, one in the Bronx and one in Brooklyn, are, are really um, seeing surges and continue to be 
um, you know, really close to capacity in terms of ICU beds and, and things of that nature. Do you have a sense that that the city um, or maybe the city and the state are really moving to alleviate the the overburdened share on the most burden of the most burden, you know, the, the, the public hospitals that are seeing, you know, we saw with Elmhurst hospital and now we're seeing with other places. Do you have a sense that they are heeding that call that you just made that they're coordinating and, and moving in that direction or not yet? They're, they're trying. I mean, this is incredibly challenging. Um, and health and hospitals has been, Dr. Mitch Katz has been, you know, the most honest with me, I think that he can with, with all things considered um, and letting me know which of the hospitals that are really being impacted. So Elmhurst clearly made international news. Uh, that's why I'm moving towards making sure that there is a whistleblower policy to protect some of the people that are inside of these hospitals who really shed a light on, on how bad and dangerous things were. And we received global aid. Uh, but it, again, Queens, which is the Queens Hospital I mentioned, of course, Lincoln, Woodhall, these are all public hospitals that are seeing their surges, they're seeing increases. And when you look at those neighborhoods, it is the same uh, demographics and community that have some of these underlying conditions that happen to be people of color. And so even though we are moving towards getting more support there right away, I think my biggest frustration is why couldn't we project some of these issues, knowing the health factors, knowing the health statistics of so many of those constituents. Why couldn't we do a little bit more around explaining the benefits of, of telehealth if we figured that our emergency departments were going to be full? And now as we're turning people away and saying to get better at home and hearing these horrible stories of people dying inside of their apartments, there has to be a better plan and i know we heard a little bit from the mayor about it this morning um i just feel it's 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 finally here i, I think it's late and and i'm you know i was a, a bit discouraged that all this time had passed and we we couldn't kind of make these predictions but but again hindsight is always 2020. Councilwoman, one of the things that came up in the press conference today where the mayor talked about the uh, the, the racial statistics on the impact of the disease on deaths so far. Uh, he was asked questions about the fact that, you know, from the get-go, his administration targeted inequality and specifically targeted health disparities. Um, and there was some early work along those lines, trying to reduce those, trying to address those. What do you think of that effort? Do you think that, um, that the extent of this crisis, the impact of this crisis, reflects that those efforts uh, were a failure or just that they didn't go far enough? Do you think that some progress was made? I think some progress has been made, but I think there was some of the, the points that were made, there was kind of a lack of understanding. When there was a, a, a comment, a mention of working with grassroots organizations, yes, absolutely, those are the grassroots organizations, those are the federally qualified health centers that are serving this, our poor, our disenfranchised, historically marginalized people, and, and they're the ones that also need to be supported. They're doing so much work on the ground. So I, I think trying to make those kind of saying that they're really trying to help some of these communities that have been hit the hardest, I'm not, I'm not sure I'm seeing kind of the data that proves that. So I, I'm trying to focus on making sure that our health and hospital system is really uh, receiving support, that they're not already overburdened. Because if we're really going to work as one system and, you know, the mayor and the governor, they have these relationships 
with these larger private hospitals. But when you're, you're the president of a major private hospital system and you're making $10 million, there should be an incentive for everyone there to do whatever is necessary. And if you happen to be in a neighborhood that is a bit more affluent, then, then you should be sending those sorts of resources to other neighborhoods. So I think the coordinated effort was is, is finally here. I think it's taking a little bit long to, to launch and to really implement citywide. But, but I'm hoping that now that people really understand how urgent and dire everything is, that we'll be really focusing, again, on our public hospital system, which is on the front line. So um, say a little bit more about how you're keeping tabs on what's happening at the public hospitals. I mean, this is, you know, part of the reason that we wanted to talk with you is because you're obviously as chair of the city council's hospitals committee, you're, you're tasked with oversight and you're, you're, you're trying to perform that under these extraordinary circumstances where not only is it such an emergency situation that, you know, people don't necessarily want to talk all the time or it might be hard to get information and you you aren't really supposed to be out in the field. You're, you're not supposed to be out interacting with people and you can't really, um, you know, hold meetings and hearings in person. So can you give a little bit of a sense of how you're pushing for information and what you're doing in that oversight capacity to try to, to get what you think you need? Right. So we are talking to the different hospital systems every single day. We're in contact with the president or the, the CEOs of some of these major systems. We also talk on a daily basis to the Greater New York Hospital Association, which, as you know, is this larger organization that really has all of the hospital systems uh, as members, essentially, to, to figure out how we can support better coordination. So knowing that, you know, Memorial Sloan Kettering will take cancer patients or that some of our specialized hospitals will be taking some of those patients, that makes the most sense. But then also, as we are um, putting up the, the Javits Center and the Comfort and taking former hospitals like St. Mary's in Brooklyn, making those alternate care sites, what is the patient transfer system? What are, how are the logistics for sharing supplies? A lot of those things really haven't been in place even in the last couple days. So trying to make sure that there is a general effort that we're in contact with the mayor's office and the governor's office and, and greater New York so that way we can really advocate for some of the places we know aren't receiving any support. And that even goes for our smaller health clinics that are on the ground who really have a better cultural understanding, who speak the language of the community. So making sure that, that, is, that these, these systems, these organizations are talking to each other and they're essentially sharing resources. And again, it has been incredibly frustrating because we have not been able to get all of the data and all of the answers that we want in a timely fashion. Just a quick follow-up on that. When when Elmhurst Hospital was so overwhelmed pretty quickly, Governor Cuomo stepped in. He said, I'm you know ordering New York City to get, show me a plan about how its public hospital system is coordinating and sharing the burden. And then he brought together you know, leaders of various hospital systems, including the city's public hospital system, to say everybody has to start burden sharing and coordinating and getting together. Why did that have to happen at the state level? I've been really unsure that why there wasn't sort of a clear city muster on that effort to coordinate the public hospital system better and bring in the city's obviously renowned um, private hospitals. You know, I've, thought, I've also thought about this a lot. I, I think the hospitals, we were very reliant on the federal government's intervention. 
And of course, we should have received more help much sooner. But as we saw so few patients getting transferred to Javits, as we saw the challenges with the comfort, I think that we realized that it was going to be up to us. So making sure that we were coordinating why it took this long, I can't tell you. We're all supposed to be one system. Everyone is a member of Greater New York. And I, I, I have been struggling myself to figure out, again, why we couldn't make these projections when we know that the immediate area around Elmhurst Hospital has health statistics that really lead directly to some of the underlying conditions that were causing these deaths. And when we know that over 100 languages are spoken inside of that hospital, so I thought, you know, there was, you know, that one of the, the failures, I think, of this pandemic was, was trying to really make sure that we were in some of these hard-hit communities. But Health and Hospitals was really, really trying to alleviate the burden on Elmhurst. And in Lincoln, they saw those surges early. Bellevue was taking patients. King's Hospital was, was taking patients. So they were trying. But I think for a system that has struggled for so long, and we can go on and on about charity dollars and, and the formula for how money comes from the state and, and some of the, ch- the issues with Medicaid. They were all already doing a lot with very little. And so I thought it would, be, it would have been a natural compliment to really push the private hospital system to help them. And I just think that like so many other things, we needed a mandate. Do you think that there's going to be a rethink of the, the the dominant thinking about hospitals for the past 10 or 20 years is that New York City hospitals had too many beds, that it was an old-fashioned model of hospital delivery, that the money be better spent on clinics and outpatient stuff, maybe even getting out into the community. Obviously, this was an extraordinary crisis, but what's been striking is that we're, you know, we're building hospitals in Central Park and Van Cortlandt Park and bringing in a naval ship. Do you think there's going to be a rethink about capacity um, and whether or not we need we need bigger hospitals precisely to flex to meet crises like this, which might come every hundred years or might come more often? You know, that's a that's a good question. In terms of even the pandemic plan that we had in place, uh, clearly we again were relied, I think, on federal intervention to the point where when it took so long to arrive, we were really just kind of hustling and trying to scrape together everything that we could. Um, I think that the argument that it was actually made a few press conferences ago by the governor on having one system and sharing supplies, I think that was an excellent argument for a universal health care system. And I know that your previous guest, uh, State Senator Jessica Ramos, is also pushing for that single-payer plan. I mean, we can't wait on the federal government to do something like this. We certainly should put forward a, a single payer. Um, I'm, I'm certainly for that, for a Medicare for all plan. Um, when it comes to the beds, you know, it's an interesting question because right now the hospital system, this is, this is a business. And so having, you know, quote unquote, empty beds, according to them, they don't make any money. But I think that we will see as we've kind of been noticing trends, as more data is, is coming out on what's happening just globally, that our healthcare system, who it serves, how it's making its pre- pre- uh, predictions, it's going to change. So that elimination of beds and where we are now, I think it's something that is going to be an ongoing conversation and we'll certainly have some of the best kind of uh, health officials and stakeholders who will be able to weigh in and make the right call. I think right now what we're seeing, though, 
is in these communities that have been historically underserved, what are we going to do differently? How are we going to uh, explain the benefits of telehealth? How are we going to make sure that there is a different education process and that when we're looking at issues like maternal morbidity, and there was an article just yesterday or the day before in the Cut for New York magazine about a woman's experience in giving birth, that is, that is a, a common story for black women in our hospital system and not getting the services and the care that they need. So I think there's going to be a, a reckoning. There's certainly going to be some sort of, I hope, enlightenment on, on how we provide services in our hospital system and just watching them um, add capacity under, under enormous strain has been heartbreaking. So I'm hoping that's going to push the conversation to some long-term solutions. One of the pieces that you mentioned that I wanted to follow up on in terms of what's happening right now um, that I've been wondering about is translation services. Um, do you have a grasp of how robust the translation services are at the city's public hospitals right now? You know, this is one of the first questions I asked Dr. Katz because I was very, very afraid that as we were um, as our emergency departments became full, that they would potentially turn people away. They say, get better at home. But for those with asthma, for those with obesity, for those with just underlying conditions that may not necessarily affect their day-to-day, it was certainly going to, to get them a lot sicker, a lot faster. So when it comes to the, the language access, I mean, I mentioned how many languages are spoken in New York City. I knew it was going to be an issue because our grassroots organizations didn't really have all of the infrastructure in place to talk to some of our communities, especially that speak indigenous languages and and certain dialects. So I I think that right now the the telehealth infrastructure is not where it needs to be. And I can tell you that right now, one of the health centers in my own district, Betances in the Lower East Side, you know, they need $30,000 to really get the telehealth teleconsultation system up and running that they need in order to serve mostly Spanish speaking patients. So it has a long way to go. I was told, you know, that things are going pretty well when it came to translation. But I think we're what we're going to see now, and it's very hard to track because um, speaking English as a second language in the home is not a data that a lot of our hospital systems track, which, which I actually think is a disservice to New Yorkers. But I, we're going to see that in these immigrant communities where there are Central Americans, where there are... Um, um, immigrants from Africa, that there is going to be, unfortunately, deaths in those areas and a lot of people who are reported sick because they just don't have the access to language. We've got just our last two minutes here with uh, City Council Member Carlina Rivera. Um, a a two part, um, sort of quick one, if you don't mind, um, on City Council oversight. You held a, a oversight hearing on March 5th on the, on the preparations for the corona. A virus outbreak. Looking back on that, was was everybody in that in that hearing um, kind of naive about what was about to to happen here? I think that, again that the the city was very reliant on if it got to the point of where their pandemic plan certainly needed federal intervention. That the money, the resources, the personnel, the alternate care sites would have arrived a lot sooner. So then we were left playing catch up. So I think that that our health and hospital systems did have a plan. However, it just, um, it really, at this scale and what happened, which was really unpredictable, it was really, really hard to take care of everything that, that, that just came up. 
And lastly, for me, and then Jared might jump in with a, a goodbye or another question. Um, uh, in terms of the next oversight hearing, when do you think we would expect that? Because there's obviously been some retrospection already, but we also are still in the midst of this crisis. People are not, you know, gathering. But when do you when do you forecast um, bringing people in, even if it's remotely or socially distanced, to try to get some answers about some of the things that have gone poorly? Well, we've certainly we've had one meeting on on the budget so far, uh, the budget negotiation team at the city council, which I'm on, to just talk about discuss some of the cuts. It's really kind of a shock what we're facing going forward. But I think looking at what kinds of resources are going to go into our healthcare systems will certainly be a priority. When can we actually have a hearing? Right now, we're setting up uh, the technology, that kind of infrastructure, making sure that all of the council members feel comfortable in terms of meetings and hearings. And I think this will certainly be one of the first things that we have available to the public. We're also going to be bringing in our, our congressional delegation, um, our senators. We'll, I think we're meeting with them as soon as next week to try to facilitate a conversation on what the next kind of relief package looks like, what the next, you know, quote unquote stimulus will be, because I think the money for the hospitals was so important, but it's not going to get us to where um, where we need to be when every single year health and hospital asks us to fund EKG machines and trauma slots. And these are things that I don't think the city council should be funding. They should be a priority. And I think that this disaster has really pushed us to look at what the priorities are, which is housing, food, education, and of course, health care. Well, City Council Member Carlina Rivera, Chair of the Council's Hospitals Committee, thank you so much for joining us, and please keep us posted. Thank you. Thank you so much. And, Jared, uh, in our last uh, minute or two here, um, we had a couple of obviously important, sobering conversations here today. What are, you, uh, what are your takeaways from what we discussed, or what are you thinking about as we wrap up here? Well, one thing is that, Ben, you just referred to March 5th. Uh, the day before that, we had the first show where we mentioned coronavirus, had Mark Levine and a public uh, health expert from NYU on. On that show, I think I kind of made fun of some New York City high school kids petitioning to close schools. It turns out they were right. I was wrong. It's amazing how quickly this has moved. And it's I think you know the virus affects the body to the extent that, that the defense systems are weakened. And I think one of the questions here is in terms of our political system, its ability to reassign resources, and our hospital system, its ability to react. You know, New York City's and New York State systems are being tested by this, uh, this virus. And I think that test will not end even when the numbers come down, because obviously the economic and social impact is going to last much longer than that. That's well said, and we're going to continue to obviously discuss all those public health, economic, social impacts, uh, educational, as we've as we've discussed just last week with the schools chancellor, uh, and much more. Uh, and so, be sure, uh, folks, to follow our work at uh, Gotham Gazette and City Limits. And uh, Jared, uh, why don't you take us out? Until next week, have a great week in the greatest city in the world, and stay healthy.